ultimately, when you do adopt some of this generative AI and put out products or tooling, you run into a lot of data engineering challenges. Welcome to the Artificial Intelligence Podcast with your host, Dr. Tony Huang. Today, I'm with Julian Leneve. Julian, can you give a quick introduction about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me here. I am the current CTO at Astronomer. If you're not familiar with Astronomer, we offer a managed service for Apache Airflow. Apache Airflow is an open source tool for workflow management and, and running data pipelines. And Astronomer is the easiest and most efficient way to run it at scale. Cool. So like, Julian, what made you like become CTO? Did, did you guys, did you work your way up through the company or did you like get hired as a CTO? Like how, how did you become the CTO of Astronomer? Yeah, I guess you could say I worked my way up. I've been here about two years and have been on the product team for most of that. And just recently made the transition to CTO. When I joined, it was to build out what we call the cloud IDE. It's a notebook interface for writing data pipelines. And then over the last year and a half or two, I've slowly started getting involved with a couple other things at the company around developer experience, data observability, open source, and more recently, some of our AI initiatives. And I think as of last week, I am now CTO. So I'm excited to, to take on the new role. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Did you start off uh, your career as like, like a product manager or like what, what was the genesis of your career path? Yeah, I actually started out doing some software engineering work. I liked it, but didn't like it enough to do full-time at the time. And so I looked into other career options that I thought would be very interesting, at least to me personally, and landed on management consulting. I did that for some time and really enjoyed it, but ultimately wanted more ownership of my work and wanted to spend more time um, thinking at least about engineering problems. And so product management felt like a very good fit, just combining the, the types of thinking that I do with engineering, software engineering, and the type of work that I did in management consulting. Astronomer is also very exciting to join about two years ago when we raised our last round. It was growing very quickly and still is, and there are lots of exciting problems that we're working on. Yeah, I, I noticed that in your C-series round, you guys raised over $200 million. That's a huge amount. Like, what, like, who led that round for the investment group? Yeah, so for us, it was definitely a, a mix of folks. I'd say the, the leads, though, were... A lot of money from Sutter Hill, a lot from Insight Partners and, and a handful of other places. So they've been involved in helping us succeed, which we certainly appreciate. After you raised the round, you guys have like acquired a like a data operations company, right? Like a data akin? Yeah, we did. Yeah, the company was called Datakin. They do, or I guess they did a lot of data lineage work. So orchestration and data lineage, we think is a match made in heaven. Ultimately, data orchestration is the layer that sits on top of all of your tooling. So it feels like the most natural place to collect and analyze a lot of the lineage information. They also had a very similar business model to us where they were working on an open source project called Open Lineage, which is meant to be a standard spec for how you produce and consume lineage. It was a, a very natural fit and we we're excited to now offer those capabilities to our customers. Yeah, that's cool. Like I've known about Astronomer and Airflow for a while because like for me back in the day, I used to use, uh, back back before Gen AI became really popular, I used to use like Google's Q 
Kubeflow, Databricks, MLflow, Netflix's Meta, a Prefect, a Prefect, and also Airflow and Astronomer. Okay. I guess my question is, like, why is Airflow so popular? Of all of the different workflow engines out there, like the biggest one that I've that I know of is like Airflow. So, do you happen to know why Airflow is so popular? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I'd say it's a combination of a cult of a couple things. First and foremost is just the community and the ecosystem around Airflow. When you decide to use an orchestration tool, ultimately you want it to be able to talk very easily to all the systems and, and tools that you have already adopted. And so one of the biggest evaluation criteria is, is this orchestration tool going to be able to talk very easily to, to the current tools in my stack? Because Airflow has been around for longer than some of the other orchestration tools that you've mentioned, there's naturally been more time to just develop such a great ecosystem around the tool. I think we're at a point now where there are over 100, 120 different providers for Airflow, and providers are essentially the code that, that makes those integrations happen. So when you're thinking about adopting orchestration, having that nice ecosystem support and integrations that come out of the box is super helpful. Secondly, I think the just the reliability and the scale that Airflow has been tested at is pretty unmatched today. If you're running lots of workloads, you want to make sure that is the type of thing that is very reliable, very secure, and can scale with your business. And so choosing something like Airflow that, again, has been around for a while is truly battle-tested it is a very good fit. And last but not least, I think is just the pace at which Airflow has continued putting out new releases and new features. At Astronomer, we spend a lot of time helping maintain the open source projects. We, I think, put out a release every month or every two months or so, always with new features. And a lot of the times those are driven by end users. So it becomes a, a very nice way to adopt an orchestration tool that has a lot of the pre-built integrations that you need that's very battle-tested and that you know will continue to be updated and, and never fall out of date. Yes, I have a question on the orchestration platform. So before GenAI, the go to orchestrator was Airflow, right? So anytime you developed any type of ML product and you wanted to put it into production, most of the time I've seen companies use Airflow for that. Mm -hmm. um, now that we've switched from like traditional ML over to Gen AI. That's like the new hot thing. Mm -hmm. uh, is that still compatible with, can you still take your LM app stack and deploy it across Airflow? And I guess if you can, is there any like big differences or is it just a, like a plug and play type of system? Yeah, it's a great question. We've seen companies take a, a lot of success using generative AI with Airflow. Ultimately, when you do adopt some of this generative AI and put out products or tooling, you run into a lot of data engineering challenges, making sure that your data is always up to date, that it's delivered reliably, and that it works at scale. Using an orchestrator is, you need something like that when you do these things at scale. And for a lot of organizations that are already using Airflow, it doesn't make sense to go adopt a new orchestration tool. Um, because a lot of this generative AI stuff is new, I'd say Airflow is under very active development right now to make sure that it works well with a lot of this generative AI, new tooling and, and ways of working. At Astronomer, we um, have just released five different Airflow providers um, that we've contributed back to the open source projects to make it easy to adopt generative AI technology 
using Airflow and your existing orchestration capabilities. And those five are Pinecone, WeV8, PG Vector on the vector database side, and then OpenAI and Cohere on the bettings and LLM side of things. And we have a commitment to continue making Airflow better and better, both for our customers and the whole Airflow open source ecosystem. And we've seen great adoption so far. A lot of this technology is new, and I expect that it's going to continue evolving. So I'm I'm curious to see, I don't know if you have these metrics, but like how much of your clients switched over from using like traditional ML techniques to like Gen AI and trying to deploy that into production? Do you have a rough estimation of, or do you, do you just see it sporadically? Like what is the amount of like clients that are using Gen AI in their production environment? Yeah, great question. I'd say everybody's thinking about it, at least. It's top of mind for a lot of executives because they think the business gets a lot of value out of these new generative AI models and tooling. So most customers we talk to today are at least thinking about adopting generative AI, and they're thinking about it in the context of airflow and orchestration and making sure that when they do adopt this technology, it works and it works well and is compatible with everything else that they have. I'd say it's not an either or in the sense of we don't see companies moving from ML to generative AI. I think for most folks, it's just new use cases that they're discovering and can support with generative AI. Gotcha. Do you have any like examples of cool use cases that your clients are using in the Gen AI space? It's always fun to yeah. like, see what people are trying to do with, with Gen AI. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely more than a few... At Astronomer, we've actually built an open source to what we call a reference implementation of how you can build generative AI applications with Airflow, with Langchain, with OpenAI and, and other vendors called Ask Astro. For us, it was a very real use case of Airflow and Astronomer documentation is segmented across many different sources. We have the Astronomer docs, we have the Airflow docs, we have GitHub issues, pull requests, we have Slack channels, we have um, Stack Overflow questions, and ultimately the breadth of knowledge and Airflow content is very distributed. It makes it challenging to get answers to sometimes very simple questions about Airflow. And so this Ask Astro application that we built provides like a simple Q&A interface over all of this documentation. We have Airflow DAGs that run to collect every night new content about Airflow. If our documentation team writes new tutorials, if there's a new Stack Overflow question, if there's a new Airflow pull request or release that gets ingested automatically, and that's where having good orchestration is pretty critical. And then we use a combination of WeV8, OpenAI, LangChain, and a couple other tools to give um, users a way to ask questions in natural language over all this documentation, pull in real documents, sources, sources of like factual information, and use an LLM to generate essentially a summary of that documentation. Uh, that's a use case that we have here at Astronomer that we've seen lots of success with and are showing a handful of our customers to help them support similar use cases. Outside of that, there, there are a couple other applications that we've seen. One is for support tickets. So helping internal support teams give answers and find related content much quicker than you can do without generative AI. We have a customer who 
is ingesting all of their support tickets into a vector database. And then when new support tickets come in, it'll automatically pull in potentially related tickets, generate a summary for the support engineer who will ultimately answer the customer's question and let them come to that answer and, and support the customer a lot quicker. There are also a couple other use cases that we've seen just around content moderation, anomaly detection, that that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of initial use cases for Gen AI around knowledge, like management, knowledge transfer. Yeah, uh, that, that that seems like the per, the right the right type of use case in order in order to deliver max value, right? So it's rather than trying to search around, you know, doing a like command F to try and find a document and reading through the document, you could just throw it through like a vector database and then hit it with an LM to ask questions. So like this question answer question answer retrieval, or I guess now it's called RAG, like retrieval yeah. augmented generation. They keep changing the names of these things <laughs> so, so frequently. Yeah. Uh, RAG is like the like the main use case right now. So I'm I'm anticipating like within three to six months, everybody's gonna have some type of RAG system on, mm-hmm. on slapped onto their data. Cause it's just it's it's like first of mind. Do you happen to to have any thoughts on what the next big hot use case would be for like Gen AI? Yeah, yeah, great question. And good point about RAG. It's pretty ubiquitous, at least from what we've seen. And it's also pretty easy to get started with. That's where I think our reference implementation can come in handy. Outside of RAG, I think you'll see a lot of domain-specific use cases. For example, at Astronomer, we've already started thinking about how to go build AI features into the product to make it easier to write data pipelines or troubleshoot them when things go wrong. I'd say code generation and and transpilation has been something that I've heard now more than a couple times. Hub Copilot does this very well. I think you'll start to see more domain-specific use cases there to help Less technical users, business users have the same access to to code and, and technology as everyone else. And I think it can also help just with a lot of operational efficiencies. I think the support ticket use case is an interesting one where something that companies today spend a lot of time on, but is so easily augmented by generative AI. So I think you'll continue to see use cases like that. Yeah. When you guys are using like LLMs, what's your like favorite one? Are you guys using like Anthropic, OpenAI? Are you hosting something locally like Llama 2? What's your favorite flavor? Yeah, good question. I'd say we we try not to take many opinions there. Just being the commercial developers now of Apache Airflow that integrates well with everything. I think our goal is to build first-class stories with any of these LLM providers, because ultimately our customers will make that choice for themselves. We've had lots of success with both OpenAI and Cohere. They seem to work very well. We've started looking into hosting our own models just for more like security and privacy aware use cases. But OpenAI, Cohere, like these LLM providers make it so easy to get started with very simple API. You don't have to worry about finding GPUs to go serve inference at scale or fine-tune models. I think we'll continue seeing a mix of both LLM providers, vendors, and the ability to go run open source models. Yeah, speaking of like OpenAI, they they had a dev day on Monday where like they released like the GPT-4 Turbo, which is like the newest one. 
newest fastest one. There was a price decrease. What was another one? They had a huge context window of 128k, like up from 8k. So now they're trying yeah. to fight Anthropic. Yes. So like that's fun to see people are stepping up the game. And then obviously they have that the GPT four, which has one of the best zero shot LMs out there. What were your thoughts on OpenAI's Dev Day that occurred? Yeah, I think it's I think it's super cool that you have a, a handful of companies like this building LLM models because the competition makes everyone move very quickly and release innovation. OpenAI's Dev Day is a perfect example of that where you know it feels like they come out with a, a new model or a new version of their model every couple months. I'm excited to see that pace of innovation continue. I think like in two years from now, it's going to be pretty crazy the capabilities that we have with large language models. The GPTs that they released are also pretty interesting. I think taking these base models and making them more useful for very specific use cases is really interesting. That's where you'll see a, a lot of folks try to build that technology on their own for those domain-specific use cases. And you know, the more open AI can make it very easy to do out of the box, I think the the more adoption you'll see out of LLMs. Yeah, the the um, last time that they did a an update to their um, GPT-4, this was before the dev day, but I remember in the summer, um, they released like a new update for GPT-4 and it like completely wrecked my workflow. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> the performance dropped so much that I had to revert back to a, like a previous timestamp. So you know, what I'm trying to say is that every time these managed LM companies release an update, some of the times it's not for the better. Like case in point, my script, which I didn't even touch, was negatively affected by the performance of a managed LM service. So that that's a warning for everybody. Don't fully trust managed services like that because they one update, they're like one update away from wrecking your product. Yeah. <laughs> which again, if you're about to deploy something, it's better to switch over to a local model that what version it is, so it doesn't change the output and performance. And then I think after I believe after Dev Day occurred, OpenAI got DDoSed and they went down. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like. Uh, I was trying to log in and nothing was working. And I, I was actually very surprised that like a system like them, like OpenAI could get DDoSed. Like some, some company that's very famous that probably has very good security uh, will still be able to take them down. What were your thoughts on trying to, like how would you prevent like a DDoS attack like that from occurring? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. I think A, it goes to show the demand for these kinds of things. And OpenAI is clearly pushing the boundaries as, as much as possible, maybe in some cases too much. From our perspective, I think where we've tried to build fault tolerance on specific vendors is just building good abstractions on top of things. Ultimately, for example, with this Ask Astro application where you do question and answer and use LLMs to generate summaries, Having the right interface so that if OpenAI goes down or if we decide we want to try Cohere or Anthropic or we want multiple versions, it becomes pretty easy to just swap things out in the back end and continue giving a, a seamless user experience there. I think the same is true for vector databases and different embedding models. The ability to try different embedding models, try different vector databases, and change those as you continue scaling your use cases can be pretty critical. 
where we've had the most success there is with a combination of very well-written data pipelines, in our case, of course, running on Airflow and Astronomer, and a tool like Langsmith or, or your own abstraction that you know provides similar functionality so that you can run experiments very quickly, you can swap things out, and just test inputs and outputs to see what works best. Gotcha. Uh, and speaking of Ask Astro, like how long did it take for you guys to develop Ask Astro? Yeah. For us, it took only a couple of days, honestly, to build the first prototype. We we started using it internally and building a good set of question and answers. With this like internal use case, it was pretty easy to get user feedback on what it did well and what it did not do well. And we, we could use that data to help motivate further changes to the model. So in terms of building the first prototype, only a, a handful of days. In terms of taking it to production and offering it to customers, that's where we ran into a lot of data engineering challenges. Luckily, we have lots of experience with that kind of thing. But you know, you populate the vector database once with all of the relevant documentation, and that becomes good for a couple of days. But then a new Airflow release comes out, and you have to go repopulate it. We started with the typical notebook, Python scripts, but ultimately decided that this is where orchestration can be very helpful to just make sure that new documents are being ingested on time reliably. And so that that process took a couple of weeks. And it's the kind of thing that honestly is never complete. Like we're continuing to experiment with different embedding models, different vector databases, different LLM providers, different methods of chunking documents. There's a whole host of things to go experiment with. And I don't think it's ever the type of thing that will be completely finished, especially with the pace that things are changing, right? Three months from now, there's going to be a new set of models to go play with and probably a new vector database that that might be more performant than others. So building these things with experimentation and flexibility in mind was something that we were very attentive to from day one, and it's really paid dividends. Yeah. So if I were to take a, a guess on how you built Ask Ascro, Mm-hmm. I'm guessing LM would be open AI because it's easy. Mm-hmm. You have a vector. Da- you said you had a vector database. So I'm thinking PG vector or Pinecone. I'll probably do Pinecone or ChromaDB, one of those two. And then probably your orchestrator is like Langchains, right? Yeah. Uh, great, <laughs> great, great guesses. The only change is we decided to use Weaviate for our vector DB. They have very similar values and and model to Astronomer where they offer the open source product and also the managed service. But yeah, everything else that you got. Yeah. What's really interesting. I I love Langchain, by the way. That's in my opinion, I think that's like the package of the year Uh, because it it, it makes building LLM workflows so much easier. But the, the one thing I really hate about Langchain is that it, because of the pace, like it, it updates too quickly. So every time I have a document loader on there, like within a couple of months later, I know that document loader is going to be deprecated because mm-hmm. it's, it'll, like, it'll stop working and, I'll, and I would go into the code and wonder what's going on. It's, oh, there's a new type of document loader that everyone else is using and I have to switch it. And it's just, that's annoying to have to switch over to a different package so quickly because you've already gotten used to it. You have the code for it. You want to reuse it. But like the, that, that ecosystem is evolving so quickly. It's so hard to like, to, to 
get used to and understand like a package before the next package comes out. And so that's my only complaint about using Langflow. I, I absolutely adore Langflow so much, but man, it just, it, it, it gets like things get deprecated on that platform so fast. Yeah. Have you yeah. guys experienced the same thing? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm really glad you, you brought that up. We've experienced the same. A lot of our customers have experienced the same. And what we've seen the most successful pattern to be is use LangChain for prototyping, figure out what you want the like retrieval augmented generation process to look like, what you want the LLM call to look like. But then when you actually take these things to production, you go adopt more stable technologies. So for example, when we were building our prototype, we looked at LangChain for document loading into Weaviate because it's a nice abstraction. It makes it super easy to, to test out different things. When we actually wrote our production data pipelines to continually update our vector database, that's where we looked to the more traditional airflow providers for Weaviate in this case and, and OpenAI. Because we knew that those things would be stable, that they were very well supported by this massive airflow ecosystem. And same thing with prompt orchestration, although it gets a little trickier. Ultimately, I think when you decide on the quote unquote chain that works best for you, the best document retrieval process, we've actually had most of our customers at this point rewrite the subset of LangChain that they're using. Because ultimately it's API calls and, and string templating for most use cases. And so having the kind of lane chain interface and abstraction to go prototype and experiment with different things very quickly is super helpful, but then ultimately moving to tools that you trust and are, are very production ready and, and have been proven to, to do so seems to be the, the best path from prototype to production. Yeah, I, I would say like lane chain is definitely not production ready <laughs> it, it right. is it's at best like r d like demo demos ready but it's if you're trying to throw it into production oh man you're in for a world of hurt because it's just it gets deprecated too quickly yeah. at the end of the day lane chain is just basically a bunch of python scripts that some guy like threw together right yeah like, think about it like the way it works yeah um, have, have you ever used the, the interface like the actual graphical yeah length flow Oh, I haven't used Langflow, but we've been using LangSmith, um, okay, yeah, which is yeah. their like prompt orchestration observability managed offering. And it's been super helpful. I think observability for a lot of this stuff becomes even more critical with LLM because you have to treat it almost as a black box. And so having a very clear understanding of the user asked this question, in our case for Ask Astro, what we do is we use GPT-3.5 today to reword it a couple times and do document retrieval with those multiple rewordings. And then ultimately join all those documents together and pass it as context to a more expensive GPT-4 call. Being able to break down, hey, a user asked, this is what the rewordings looked like. These were the documents that were retrieved for each of them. And this was the final LLM output has been super helpful. And it's model orchestration, I think, is a very hot topic right now and having observability and visibility into what exactly is going on, whether you use LangSmith or something else is super helpful. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of people use LangSmith for trying to productualize it, but I've also seen a lot of people use this these click and drag interfaces. There's two popular ones out there. If you haven't used it, I, I can tell you exactly what they are. They're LangFlow 
which is basically, it looks, the interface is really nasty. It, it looks like as if an engineer who doesn't understand <laughs> like, like proper, like user interface design, designed it. It's very clunky, but man, it's got every single like module on laying flow on there. And it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so I'd recommend trying that out to develop your like own LM workflows. And then there's a different product called FlowWise. And that one is the exact same thing as Langflow. However, it looks as if like front-end developers have been <laughs> recruited to design it because it looks very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't have as many modules from Langflow on there. Mm -hmm. So you you have to balance it out. It's like either you want every single module from Lang chain, you have to go with Lang flow, but you basically suffer because the interface doesn't look that nice. Or you can go with a really pretty interface, but you, you're limited in capabilities. And I've seen a lot of people build out these cool LM workflows that are like no code, low code, and be able to productionalize it very rapidly for like demo purposes. I was just wondering if you like have played with it. If not, I would highly recommend playing with it. Yeah, I'll have to give those a look. I have some experience with no-code and, and low-code frameworks. It's a pretty interesting paradigm to try to take this more complex technology and make it easier to consume for folks who are less familiar or maybe want to work quicker. That's what I was actually hired at Astronomer originally to do was build out our notebook interface and abstraction on top of Airflow, which you know, is very similar in one case, you're building data pipelines on Astronomer. In another case, you're building model orchestration with you know, Langflow and some of these other tools. We actually ended up going with a notebook interface instead of the drag and drop, just because it gives you a lot more flexibility and it's still a very familiar, intuitive interface. And we've seen success with it. It makes it so much easier to write data pipelines on Airflow. I find myself now writing most of my data pipelines using our cloud IDE, the low-code tool, instead of you know, writing all of the Python code by hand, especially if it's a, a simpler use case. So Julian, if I needed to get in touch with you, like how would I do that? Yeah, so you can either find me on LinkedIn, the full name is Julian Leneve, or feel free to reach out by email. My email is julian at astronomer.io. And some other uh, quick questions like, it looks like you guys just recently secured a partnership with Microsoft. That's very exciting. Yes. Um, what, what are like the next steps in terms of like your partnership with Microsoft? Yeah, it's a good question. We we are super excited about this Microsoft integration. Um, for those you know that may be listening that aren't familiar, it is an integration that we built with Microsoft to make it super easy to adopt Astro and Airflow if you're already on Azure. You just search for Astro on, on the search bar, you click a button, and now you have a fully ready-to-use Airflow and Astro instance. And I think we'll continue looking to deepen that integration with you know, data catalog tools, with automatically provisioning connections and authorization, um, and just figuring out for our customers that are running on Azure, what are the tools that they're using the most? How can we build the best experience around using Astro with that tooling. And then lastly, for people who are very interested in trying to deploy like Gen AI, because that's like the hot thing right now, if they're interested in deploying Gen AI into some type of orchestration platform, like what are some tips and tricks that you think you could provide so that like they can get started? Because I, I know there's a lot of newbies out there that they want to put that their LLM products into production, but they don't really know how to do it. 
other than doing something as simple as like a Chrome job or something like that. Any tips and tricks that you can like tell them? Yeah, yeah. This is where I think the Ask Astro reference implementation comes in super handy. This is exactly why we built it. It's fully open source. The data pipelines that we use are open source. The you know API Langchain code is open source. The UI code is open source. You can find it on GitHub. Under the astronomer organization, the repo is called Ask Astro. I also talk about this in detail at the Airflow Summit talk that I gave a couple months ago. I think if you just search for Airflow Summit, Julian Leneve, it, it should come up. But, but I think the high level summary is, I think you have to take into account data engineering best practices when you deploy these things to production. Otherwise, you're going to be left with a ton of headaches. It's like the data quality and data reliability is going to be something that is one of the more difficult challenges with deploying these things. And I think outside of that, it's just building out good experimentation so that you can continue to update your models and, and your data ingestion as new methods and technologies come out. And last but certainly not least is figuring out for your use case, what are the metrics that you care about? Is it user feedback rating answers as correct or incorrect? Can you actually use LLMs to generate feedback or some sort of metrics on generated content? Between data engineering best practices and some of the other things I mentioned, you should be in good shape when you take these things to production. Thanks, Julian, for being on the show. And until next time, stay curious.